Good morning. This is Rich Nass, Executive Vice President with Open Systems Media and leader of the Embedded and IoT franchises, here with Editor-in-Chief Brandon Lewis for our weekly Embedded Insiders podcast. Good morning, Brandon. How are you? Uh, morning, Rich. I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. You're up pretty early today. Yes. Uh, you know, the embedded, embedded space never sleeps. So <laughs> That is definitely true, definitely true. And uh, you may think that this is a short week, but um, we have to work all week because embedded never sleeps. You know that, right? Uh, I don't really like Thanksgiving that much anyway. <laughs> Very good. Uh, okay, so we both had some international travel lately, so uh, let me describe mine first. I was at Electronica last week, which is um, in Munich, and it was, it, was, it was a pretty exciting show. It was, it was busy. It's, you know, as you know, every two years, so it's hard to even remember what it was like two years ago, whether it was busy or not, but it was a pretty exciting show. Um, as usual, the topics that people wanted to talk about were uh, artificial intelligence and uh, security. Those, those two topics just keep coming up over and over and over in just about every discussion. Um, are you hearing the same? Yeah, definitely. Uh, about a week and a half ago, I was out in China for Advantex IoT Co-Creation Summit, and there, you know, it's still a lot around um, industrial IoT and getting everybody, you know, connected up into some sort of cloud, and then, of course, um, artificial intelligence, both at the edge and in the data center, and there's a lot going on there in terms of, um, you know, AI is really more advanced than I thought it was, so that was interesting. And then before that, I, I was also out in Munich, um, a while back, uh, and I had a couple of interesting uh, meetings at this little press junket, and there a lot of the presenters and then subsequently people that I talked to uh, mentioned that one of the issues they're having in industry right now is a lack of electronics engineers, um, you know, your traditional double E. Um, so I've been kind of digging around that topic lately and, you know, trying to see if it's for real or not. It's been a topic of discussion for years now, so... Try to put a put a finger on the pulse. Now, are, are you referring to any particular job category? You're just talking about engineers in general. You're talking about guys who know software, hardware, or what? I'm talking about pretty much anybody in general who's would be classified as a traditional embedded developer. So that could be somebody working on firmware. It could be somebody you know who's really well versed in power electronics. You know, you name it. Um, you know, your traditional double E. And what I've found based on my research is that it seems like more and more technologists are leaning towards becoming software uh, developers, you know, at the application layer or maybe, you know, more on the enterprise side than they are towards your traditional embedded developer. Okay. All right. How can we learn more about this topic? Uh, well, we brought on uh, one of our good friends, uh, Dave Hughes from HCC Embedded. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing fine, thank you. Yes. Yeah. I don't have a holiday week like you guys, but uh, I'm working a full week, but I am near the end of my day, so maybe a little bit happier. Well, there maybe I go. can take uh, some extra time off, uh, and Dave can cover for me on Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Dave, Dave, what are you seeing um, in terms of the engineering talent uh, for HCC? If you could start actually just by describing HCC, uh, what you guys do uh, for those who are unaware, um, and then we can go into the engineering workforce. Yeah, I mean, we're a relatively small um, embedded company. I mean, we've been doing embedded development since um, the turn of the millennium. Uh, and 
built organically. Uh, mainly our engineering is based in Budapest. We've got some in Krakow, and we're supported by other engineers in Japan and UK and uh, California as well. Um, and w what we're seeing um, from an engineer's point of view is, particularly in our home base in Budapest, we're finding it extremely difficult to find engineers. Uh, many large corporates have moved here in search of engineers over the last 10, 15 years, and we've got huge pairs with large numbers of engineers here, like Ericsson, ABB, Tyson Krupp, Norbrem, so you name it, they're all here. And Budapest is a city of maybe 2 million people, um, and it, we're now fighting this, and it's very difficult. And then that's, a, a lot of those are actually quite deeply embedded, so that's taking a lot of the embedded away. But out of the university, most of the guys seem to want to do higher-level stuff, I work with your telecoms and your, your, your big, your Amazons, your Googles, etc. And that's taken away from the embedded space. And then, but when we, you know, we've been trying to use engineers in different places. We want to diversify as a company anyway. Um, but we now see that um, Krakow is becoming difficult. We're seeing um, the states, there's a, a, a terrible demand for engineers. Um, we get a general feeling talking to people in the industry, partners, customers, that everybody is short of deeply embedded engineers. Um, and in some ways, we can visually see it. I mean, we go to Embedded World every year. Um, we see basically the same faces every year for the last 15 years. Um, it seems to be a very aging population amongst us, and there seems to be not enough people feeding into the bottom of this system at all at the moment. So it seems like it's sort of a confluence of uh, a lot of uh, engineers now or technologists now are not pursuing a traditional embedded development skill sets. And at the same time, yeah. Yeah, and at the same time, those that are those that are available are typically getting gobbled up by some of these bigger multinationals. Well, the other question is, what do you do about it, Dave? Um, I mean, do we just work harder and pick up the slack for other people who aren't there? What's what's the solution? Well, well, okay. I mean, it's a very complicated question. I mean, we've also started um, recruiting in Bangalore, and we can see visibly that Bangalore is becoming extremely competitive, even though they've got tens of thousands of engineers there. The offers coming in are going up. The pricing is going up really quite rapidly um, as people are trying to grab these people. But you are competing with um, companies that make vast profits and can spend huge amounts on engineering that I don't regard as um, critical to deeply embedded. Um, the solution, um, I could say... Um, Many things about that. The solution is to promote uh, embedded engineering and feed money back into engineering. In my view, um, part of the whole problem is, is the nature of the way the capitalist system works in that you've got companies like Amazon, Google, Apple um, taking all the profits off the top at the, at the end of the selling. And they're making their suppliers, people doing incredibly complex work, um, compete for every last dime. So you know, you've got chip manufacturers, you know, your Texas Instruments, your ST Microelectronics, who are doing incredibly complicated work, scrambling very hard to get any money out of these guys. And the main money is disappearing at the top of the chain and not feeding back into um, the bottom of the chain where all the real skill is being done. And as a consequence, that doesn't get fed back into education of people and therefore, the, the, the market just doesn't work from that point of view. 
Um, there doesn't seem to be a mechanism whereby the profits from all the incredibly intelligent stuff that's um, created by um, silicon companies, software companies, gets fed back into this chain at all. Wow, that's a lot. So of the notion that. of <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead, Rich. It's probably so the notion of our automation. Oh, I was just, just going to say the notion of of tools being more automated and you know being able to pull stuff down as as open source that doesn't make it any easier. Um, well, in in some respects, uh, um, it's making it easier for some types of products to be developed. But if you look what's going on, I, mean, I was at Electronica last week as well. I mean, what I saw as the biggest change in Electronica between two years ago was the amount of people who are pushing automotive solutions. Automotive was everywhere. The reason for this is um, the automotive world is crazy with um, connectivity. I'm trying to make these ADAS cars, I'm trying to um, IoT all these cars, make them completely connected. Um, but the, the need for deeply embedded software in this is just growing because the software solutions for this are non-trivial. Um, previously, software in cars was limited to a few MCUs. Now you're not just getting a few MCUs, you're getting hugely complicated applications processes, processing terabytes of data a day on some of these ADAS cars. Um, many, many ECU systems, many, many sensors. This stuff cannot be programmed by free open source software you download. This needs to be built into some kind of safety system, into some controlled development, development that is maybe a hundred times more expensive than doing standard off-the-shelf development of software for stuff you would download from a silicon vendor. So, so while you're, um, you're looking at um, all this uh, free software, open source software, none of it is built for um, high-end systems and the world is getting incredibly more complex. Equally, security software, if it's done properly, should also be done to some kind of safety type development standards, which if you read things like FIPS 142, develop it properly, it needs to be done to a high standard. You're not going to get that off the shelf um, downloaded open source software. You need to get all the verification documents and the process for installing it and the engineers to support that. That is an incredibly advanced process compared to the software you were developing a few years ago. And then just take a quick scan of the applications processes that are coming out now and how complicated they are. We picked one up the other day which had 600 pages just on how to configure the clocks on the processor. And this is quite difficult, you know. That's like half of War and Peace just to configure the clocks on an uh, applications processor. So all these factors are actually making embedded development very much more complex and more labor-intensive. Um, and there's many, many, much more to be done. Underlying all this wonderful internet and automotive and connectivity is a huge amount of very complex work that needs to be made more secure and more reliable, and that doesn't come cheap. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, that's a pretty nice segue here, Dave, uh, because uh, HCC has been working on some safety elements out of context uh, for the automotive industry. Um, and a safety element out of context for those who are unaware is, is some piece of technology that can be uh, used higher up by maybe a tier one, tier two, um, that is secure, uh, but it's also be, being developed in an environment where the developer doesn't really know what the end use is. Uh, is that correct, Dave? Yes, yeah, sort of. I would replace the word um, secure with safety in this particular context. Yes, 
as because uh, these two um, environments get uh, are slightly different. Um, mm-hmm. I think I use the term safety to mean software developed to a certain standard, which I would like to see secure software being developed. If it's secure, implies uh, security, some element of um, crypto or making sure your device is, is safe from tampering, etc. Mm-hmm. So, funny enough, uh, in German, you... the, uh, yeah, the word in German, is actually, but... the same word they use for both, whereas we, we quite differentiate quite strongly in English. So it's, it's quite strange sometimes. So, so what is what goes into developing a, a CIOC or a safety element out of context? You know, we're, we've just been talking about how complex it is, and it's got to be immensely complex to develop. Um, a safety element out of context, especially if you're developing it for an application that you're not sure of. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, traditionally, when all these libraries you download and uh, what ATC have produced historically, of which we've got hundreds of these modules, are elements out of context. They're software libraries that are designed to be integrated with any particular platform. With a safety element out of context, you're going to use the same concept but you're going to make sure that the design and development is done in such a way that you can verify that the original assumptions made in the design, the uh, requirements that it's fulfilling, and the test cases that fulfill that, are all met when you reuse that piece of software on the target. And that's a much higher level of um, verification than you would get from a standard um, software component out of um, context where you would you would be expecting the integrator to verify and make sure it works. Um, it's kind of the opposite process. You're actually defining the range of uh, environments in which it can be used, the assumptions. You're then uh, providing the requirements, which is the definition of what you're going to provide in this module in great detail to the point where it can be really analyzed as to whether it meets a particular functional um, uh, need. Um, to the test cases that um, are going to run to validate the whole thing. And then uh, within that V model, you also have all the um, the, implement, the architecture design and the actual implementation. And then it's also going to mean that the element is also to a verifiable level of quality. In, a, in other words, you will have tables and test results that will say, okay, there's this amount of coverage done. You've got MCDC coverage to this level. You've got code coverage to this level. Um, and all, all standard metrics can be assessed to, to, to see what the value of this is. I mean, if you go back um, 10 years, we had about 50 competitor companies all saying on the web, we have software modules for this, this, this. All our code is fast, efficient, small, um, well-supported. There's no way to quantify these things. Developing safety elements out of context allows you to create um, modules effectively that are to a very defined and clear level of quality, and that defines where you can use them and how you can use them. Mm -hmm. So sort of bringing this all around back uh, full circle um, at this point, in the automotive industry, given the amount of verification and you know doing it to various levels, a bit designing a safety element out of context to various levels of uh, safety, like ASIL levels, um, is the automotive industry a little bit, at this point, more apt to invest, or are you seeing the numbers getting crunched there too? Because traditionally, you know, the automotive industry is a perfect example of a, pla- a place where the prices get squeezed and every penny counts. 
think in all in most industries, I think um, every penny tends to count um, mm-hmm. at some level. Maybe not. Maybe aerospace is a little bit different. But um, the automotive industry, um, I think, is learning to respect software. I think. I think in general, in most cases, they have respected software, with some very famous exceptions, um, or well documented <laughs> court cases, etc. But the automotive industry in general has spent a lot of money on software, and I think um, that they continue to fund this quite well. Um, their primary interest is reliability, and software is something that you know you, you might have a very small error in code. It may only cause uh, an error um, one in a million cars every year or something. That still could be quite large numbers for a manufacturer and it affects their overall statistics to spend that little bit more on software they seem willing to do it i mean their whole autosar commitment auto uh, open sig commitments people in automotive have spent a lot of time trying to make software good there was a lot of useful contributions from them um, and a lot of thoughtful has gone into this and i think they're still trying as far as i can see to use, um, you know, they're trying to invest in good quality software and, and get the value out of it. Um, so I, I, I personally have not seen a big squeeze on, on the software as such. I mean, they're always going to squeeze, everyone's going to try and squeeze on price somewhere, but it's, I don't think it's at the pain points uh, at all. And I think um, squeezing on it too hard would be dangerous anyway. Um, uh, they need people to follow the processes, do things properly, put their best engineers onto these projects. Um, if you stop doing those things, if you stop having um, collaborative meetings to discuss things properly, um, you're going to reduce the quality and eventually mistakes will be made. Very good. Well, um, hopefully uh, we can find some somewhere to pull some innovation out of uh, out of the embedded space, and maybe maybe it's the safety critical uh, type applications that'll start driving that a little bit based on the investment that's happening there. Well, Rich, uh, what do you think? I think this is going to give me something to think about over my uh, over my time off this long weekend. <laughs> Very good. Well, uh, Dave. Well, that was uh, Dave Hughes of uh, HCC Embedded. We want to thank you very much, Dave, for coming on. Um, Also, Rich Nass, uh, Executive Vice President and Brand Director of Embedded Computing Design. I'm Brandon Lewis, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded Computing Design. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Goodbye.